your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. This is a special edition of the show this week for you because Future Sox just finished up the midseason 2022 Chicago White Sox top prospect list. Top 30 is going to be released throughout the week. So if you're listening to this episode down the road, you already know the list exists. But we're going to talk about it for you here on the Future Sox Podcast. Joining us as always, James Fox, the senior editor at Future Sox. James is working really hard to get this all coordinated, working together with all of the insightful individuals who follow the White Sox prospects across the show as we talk to you every Tuesday on the Future Sox podcast. James, welcome in. This is going to be a fun conversation because we have more than uh, one guest joining us today, but this is a really exciting portion of the season for us because of all the work that we did Prior to the draft, then we covered the draft, and now we get to incorporate some of these draft picks into the top 30 list and also just evaluating all the prospects that have gotten better across the year. And we put together a list that, first and foremost, Baseball America agrees, is no longer at the bottom of the food chain in Major League Baseball. So that's really exciting. Yeah, so I mean, Baseball America's list came out. The White Sox were 24, I think, as most of our readers probably, I don't know, saw on Twitter or read or Whatever, and I, you know, I listened to the Baseball America podcast, and they kind of said, like, it's not a year, I guess, at midseason where there's like definitely a thirty. Like the way that they explained it was like they go into their their room or whatever, like kind of like what we do, but they have thirty teams to cover, and usually, like, they know who like who the best system is, and they know by far like who the worst system is, and they have the Royals and Angels at the bottom. Not to get too far into that, but they basically said like. 26 through 30 at this point, like you could think any of those systems are 26 or 30, like if that makes any sense. So like some of it's, I don't know if it's like leveling out or whatever, but there's not like a system that's like definitely 30. It's like more about like preference right now. James Fox is on Twitter at James Fox 917. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Steve Hasman, Sleepy Harold, joining us, part of the Future Sox staff, helping out every week doing his minor league recaps and following all every affiliate getting us updated on the numbers and who is excelling. Glad to have you on the Future Sox podcast. Thanks for participating in the top 30. There's a few names that I wanted to talk to you about on your individual list, but especially regarding the Dominican uh, Summer League that you've been following like more so than a lot of us, Steve. So I- I'm very excited to get your insight on those who are stepping um, ahead of the pack, so to speak. But welcome in. Welcome in, Steve. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. You could follow Steve Hasman at Sleepy underscore Harold underscore on Twitter. And of course, last but not least, Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine podcast and SoxMachine.com joining us. He's at Sox Machine underscore Josh on Twitter. Josh, how are your legs feeling? <laughs> well, the game got canceled on Sunday between the White Sox and Guardians. And I was planning to do another bike ride just to see how long and how many miles I would cycle before the White Sox finally scored against Aaron Savali. But I'm glad I did not start that journey because I would be doing this podcast while still cycling until Monday night 
uh, when the White Sox take on the Royals. But thank you for asking about my legs. Yeah, it's a fun bit that we're monitoring over on Twitter, and it's it's fun for us, but miserable for really. I think it's it's a it's a perfect personification of like what we're going through. We're watching Josh's physical pain in real time as we're experiencing the pain that the White Sox give us by not scoring runs, and that's really been the story of the year. But that's about enough White Sox big league talk on this episode of the podcast because today we're going through the top thirty prospect list here at Future Sox, and number one overall. Let's just kick it off right away. With the top three. Now, this is interesting because maybe you weren't expecting to hear the third name or even the second name at this point. But number one, unilaterally, we agreed Colson Montgomery continues to shine following his uh, first round draft pick in 2021. He's doing everything the organization was looking for in the profile. He looks to be able to stand at shortstop. He's holding his own so far. Somewhat mixed reviews from the scouts around the league, but those who have been following Colson Montgomery now participating in an advanced a Winston Salem suggest that that's a player who can stick at the position. And we talked to Bill Mitchell as well from baseball America who agreed. You can check out that podcast after this one in the future Sox library. But Josh, you know, from the outside looking in as you're obviously ingrained in, in what the white Sox are doing organizationally, Focusing more so on the big league level, now taking a step back and looking at this broad scope of what we put together in the top 30 and seeing the gains in the system, as well as what you're seeing from Colson Montgomery, what are you feeling so far? Well, the whole idea about Colson Montgomery eventually moving over to third base, maybe I see that if there is a future need for the Chicago White Sox where it makes more sense for Colson Montgomery moving off shortstop to another position. But since I watched Colson Montgomery in the Indiana postseason run when his school won the state championship, a lot of teams were afraid to pitch to him. So you had to spend a lot of time while watching and scouting Colson Montgomery was on his defensive ability. And even though he's six foot four and he's a bit tall for shortstops, the thing that always caught my attention was he's got good balance. He's got good range. He's got a strong enough arm to make all of the necessary throws needed from the shortstop position. Why are people thinking that he can't play shortstop? And I think over time, you'll have a lot of people say, well, that range and the speed and the response is not quite on par with some of the better shortstops from other Major League Baseball affiliates and their prospects. So comparing Colson Montgomery to other shortstops in that particular draft in the 2021 Major League Baseball draft is what gave some people doubts. But as you watch him in Kannapolis and you watch him in Winston-Salem, I think Colson Montgomery has done a very good job selling more and more people that, you know what, maybe keep him at shortstop for a little bit longer and see just uh, if he can play shortstop at double-A and then eventually triple-A. Maybe he is the heir apparent to Tim Anderson when the White Sox decide to move on from Anderson at shortstop and possibly replace him with Colson Montgomery. The thing that's impressed me the most is offense, his hitting ability. Like I knew that he would hit for contact and he had a good batter's eye, but there were some questions about his raw power. And we had those questions too. I remember during the draft show when the White Sox took him, James. And I have to say that's something that has been a very pleasant surprise coming from Colson Montgomery, is being able to flex that type of power in his first full professional year. And that's something that White Sox fans should be mindful of. 
all all of the success that Colson Montgomery has had in 2022. And this is really just his first full professional year, James. Yeah. So the thing, and like, obviously me and Mike have talked to a bunch of people about this. I I like didn't expect like the on-base ability, right? Like, I think everybody kind of says like, this guy has raw power and we talked about it too. It's just weird. Just, I I feel like because of where he came from, right? Like he's a three sport athlete from Indiana. Didn't really do a lot of the high school showcase stuff. Like maybe Colson Montgomery, you know, would have been talked about with those top four shortstops in that draft class if he was like a circuit kid, right? But he just, he just like wasn't. And he was obviously older. So that was another thing that was always talked about. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's one of the better shortstop prospects in the American League. Like if you're, if you're looking at it now, I mean, he's going to be, I feel like pretty universally like what? I think it's safe to say like a top 50 prospect in baseball, like in the preseason. So, Yeah, I think he's he's definitely exceeded any expectations that I have for him. And I think the third base talk is just, you know, I think it's hedging. I think it's a lot of people just like seeing Mm -hmm. how big he was. And look, everybody brings up Corey Seager. Like if he's Corey Seager, that would be tremendous. That's not the point. I think the point is like even when Corey Seager was drafted as a prep player, everybody said, oh, yeah, he's moving to third. And then he like still hasn't done that. So I kind of think. You know, we'll see on that front. I, I haven't really seen anything that tells me he has to move off shortstop. It's fascinating to me, James, when talking about Colson Montgomery, is that if he actually went to college, he was committed to Indiana University. Chances are very high he would have been the Big Ten freshman of the year uh, this past season. And that's why sometimes it does pay for very good prep prospects to go into the majors instead of being the big 10 freshman of the year at Indiana university. Now you could be a top 50 prospect in major league baseball and be making your way to becoming a professional baseball player and reaching the major leagues in a couple of years. I Colson Montgomery's had a phenomenal season this year in his first professional year. And Mike, I, I'm, I'm really curious and excited to see what he does next year when he eventually gets to Birmingham, because if he continues to put up the numbers that he has in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, and that translates over to Birmingham, then it's time to have the conversation of when will Colson Montgomery arrive in Chicago? That's Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast as well as ours here, futuresox.com for everything. It'll take you right to SoxMachine.com. Part of the Blue Wire network, by the way. Steve, I want to throw it to you because you know Josh did a really good job of pretty much encapsulating everything that Colson Montgomery does well. And quick mention of the top 50 prospect, Colson Montgomery, according to Baseball America, even a top 40 prospect at this point. Now, this is sort of a dual question for you, Sleepy, because I know you're you're a big fan of Oscar Colas, and we have Colas listed as the number two prospect on the Future Sox top 30 midseason list. With that being said about Montgomery, and you're looking at your way of evaluating Oscar Colas as a prospect at this point, at 23 years old, at this age, and his first full professional season stateside, is starting to hold his own. And not only that, I posed the question, Sleepy, to James in a previous podcast, whether or not Colas can be the opening day right fielder for the White Sox next year out of spring. Do you think I'm kind of off there? Looking back when he finally officially signed what, you know, thinking that the long-running rumor of when's Colos going to get here, when is he going to get here, finally signed. I remember being first out that he's not the answer this year is right fielder. And, I mean, the numbers he's been putting up 
are making me look kind of stupid, which I will gladly eat crow on. But I think just at the rate that even considering both Coulson and Oscar Colas have performed, like that's the most optimistic, like ideal outcome for both of those players. I don't know that necessarily we, we thought that they could be pretty good, you know, like hoping that they would be very, very good, very good outcomes and performers. But I don't know that we saw Colson just, you know, running up the list to, you know, top 50 prospect. And then Oscar Colas just going to double A and just mashing and working his way onto the list and really putting himself into that conversation to where if you ask me, you know, in April, is that a realistic option? Like, no, I think that'd probably be like the most optimistic timeline. And that's assuming everything goes right. But what he's been doing, it's, you know, it, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility anymore. And the Sox have been, they haven't been shy about it. So, I mean, I think it's a very realistic outcome to consider now. I mean, maybe they give him a little time during spring training to see how that shakes out. Like I know this past week he's gone into, I mean, I suppose a mini slump, but you know, that's, it, it's going to be hard to put up a 1200 OPS consistently in double A, no matter who you are. So I think he's really worked his way into like, this is a legitimate option now for the White Sox as a right fielder in 2023. So Josh, let me throw it your way here because I'm kind of curious your opinion of the way that the White Sox, not only just in the offseason, investing in major league talent in the outfield, but also you know throughout the year in the international draft class, do you think the decision to invest in players like Yoelki Cespedes and Oscar Colas, as well as their commitment to the resources invested in Gavin Sheets and the way that he's been developing within the farm system. Do you think those things have impacted the way the White Sox have attacked the market in the outfield at all? Because it seems to me that, you know, the investment in Colas as well as Cespedes, we don't know the ceiling for Cespedes just yet, but it seems like there's money invested in the international market that may have had an impact on the offseason and their commitment to MLB free agents. If that is truly the case, I think that's a miscalculation on the White Sox part, especially during their contention window. But spending money on Colas was because this is the potential to add a left-handed bat into our system. And maybe, just maybe, fingers crossed, Colas could help in Chicago because obviously this has been a huge sore spot for the White Sox is having more dependable left-handed bats. I'm really shocked on just how well Colas is hitting in double A and the amount of power that he has displayed with Birmingham since he arrived in Birmingham is definitely eye opening and to the point of which, okay, well, if double A is not a challenge, triple A is most definitely not going to be a challenge next year. He is going to put up some video game numbers, James, uh, in Charlotte next year. And it does raise the question of, hey, if the White Sox need a right fielder in a pinch next season, is it time to see Oscar Colas? I mean, there's even some people now who are recommending, well, forget double A, man. He's crushing. Just call him up. We, we see it elsewhere in the major leagues where you call up 23-year-olds and it seems like they don't miss a beat. And that's the odd thing about Oscar Colas in all this conversation. He is 23 years old. He's a month older than Juan Soto. And just to give you perspective on 
how young Juan Soto was when he got called up to the Washington Nationals. And I get it. Soto is a unicorn. But with Colas, the way that he has handled the transition, playing in the United States for his first full season, a very similar story to Colson Montgomery, first professional season here in the States, that I think it is okay to push Oscar Colas. And you don't have to wait around 60 games in A to see if he can be this you know consistent power hitter. Age is, time is against him. And I think it's if you can take advantage of his 24, 25, 26-year-old seasons in the major leagues where he's getting paid $750,000 to play baseball for you, I think that's the route for the White Sox. So I'm expecting Colas, especially in 2023, to really get pushed. Yeah, I you know, I think he's on next year's team for sure. Is that opening day? I don't know. Like, you know, some of the talk right now I think is interesting, right? Like if they brought up Oscar Colas like for the, you know, for the Kansas City and Baltimore like road trip or whatever, I'd be like, "Great." Like they called up Lenny Sosa from AA and it was fine. I just, you know, there's something that I think is prohibiting them from doing that. I I don't think it's service time related. I just kind of think they thought he needed time because he hadn't played baseball in a long Mm -hmm. time. Like I've seen some of that too on Twitter from people, you know, where it's like, Oh, he's been a professional for seven years and like kind of, but like he didn't play baseball for a long time. And, you know, he was hurt in in Winston Salem, which is part of the reason why I think he, you know, he didn't even struggle. He was just okay there. And then he really took off in Birmingham. But I mean, look, like you said, if he's this guy, he's going to move up prospect rankings all off season. And, and he's going to be like a legit option for them. The thing that has surprised me the most, and me and Mike talked to people who, you know, saw him in the spring and kind of said like, yeah, the power's real. I didn't know he could play defense. Like he, I mean, he's, he's probably an average defender because he's, he's been like solid and center and he's never going to play center for the White Sox. So if he can play center, I mean, like if he's league average right field and, like left hand, like even if he turns into like a strong side platoon guy, that's better than what they've had. Like we've been searching for a right fielder forever. Now should Oscar Colas be the reason why you don't fix your outfield? Probably not. Um, but at least it looks like you have a legitimate option. That's basically on the horizon. Cause being in double a already, I mean, he's, he's pretty close to the big leagues. And that's our one in two prospects at the top of the list. Now, it really shouldn't surprise you. A couple of top 100 names among baseball. Now, that is something to celebrate as well. With the White Sox moving up in stature from 30 to 24 across the league in their overall rankings in their list, number three is something that James and I have had a conversation about, largely in part due to Keith Law. um, Thank you. Who is obviously somebody who... I respect greatly like his opinions on hitters. Like he, you know, like I think there's been some opinions on pitchers and he's, you know, very much somebody who looks at pitchers and like what they look like. And if they're not six, five or whatever, like he doesn't think they can start. And like, that's fine. But like with hitters, he's Keith law is pretty good picking out hitters. And, you know, he released the top 60 a couple of weeks ago and he had, Brian Ramos has the just missed, which I mean, kind of puts him as a top 70 prospect in baseball. So, you know, when Keith Law does a hundred again, like I'm expecting Brian Ramos to be on it. Fangraphs also had, I think Ramos as the top prospect in the Sox system, like in the preseason. So yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's right up here with some of these other names, but I mean, that was basically, I think the reasoning behind 
us deciding to go with him at three, that and, you know, his age and his level and other things, obviously. So we see Brian Ramos having success in 2022, moving so far up our list from future Sox's preseason list to now from number 10 to number three. Sleepy, does that take you aback a little bit? I mean, what James described, according to Keith Law and his evaluations, we take that very seriously. When we see Brian Ramos just outside of his top 60, how did you react to that? I mean, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I mean, I remember, I want to say it was um, during the uh, the preseason, I believe, or, you know, spring training, when um, the Zips, like, prospect list came out, and that list loved Brian Ramos as well. I think he was, like, number 20. Then seeing him again, like, on Keith Law's list was like, wow, okay, like, this player, like, he might be something. And, you know, the numbers he's put up, again, he's playing against older competition and doing very well yet again, like hitting for power, not striking out a bunch. And I want to say that they're, you know, the defensive, because I think that was the big thing before for us was like, well, you know, the bat's been good, but like, we don't know if he can stick at third or if he's going to move to the like a corner, like outfield, but the reports defensively, but yeah, it seems he's capable of doing that, of playing at third base. And I think that just, you know, it helps a player of this caliber that's so young playing against older competition, hitting well, and just like, if you can iron out and become a passable option at third base, rather than having, having to move to first where you have to hit more or being a left fielder or something like that. Like Brian Ramos is just, he's got that intriguing set of age hitting ability it seems like a lot of helium right now. And it's he's just been like an exciting prospect to keep tabs on this year. Yeah, the thing that really stands out about, I agree with you, about Brian Ramos as a player is his approach at the plate as well as his mechanics. When you look at how quiet his swing is and yet the amount of pop that he brings and his, his ability to find barrel, the ball goes. And that's something that really jumps out at us. And that production has continued. So... The discipline at the plate, his ability to find barrel, quick hands, all that stuff as a hitter is got us feeling so good about where Brian Ramos is in his career that he's the number three prospect, according to us here at Future Sox. Now, we constructed individualists uh, as a staff, and this one caught me by surprise because Josh Nelson had Davis Martin ranked number four on his list. Davis Martin at number four. What was the thinking behind that? So with Colson Montgomery, Oscar Colas, and Brian Ramos, these guys have potential. They have potential to be average or better major leaguers. We're talking about 50-grade or better type of players. Davis Martin currently, I think, is a – you would often see this referred to as 40-plus grade. And he is maybe one of, if not the biggest surprise out of the White Sox farm system in 2022. I don't think a lot of White Sox fans knew who Davis Martin was prior to this season. He was someone that had a fastball that sat in the low 90s, but he went to the lab, recreated a four-seam fastball, and now has the potential to sit in the mid-90s and even hit 97 miles per hour. And he might be a major league fifth type of starter for any team. Maybe even for the Chicago White Sox as an option in 2023, depending on how their roster shakes out. And when I'm ranking my list, I know a lot of people do it based on potential, and, and I try to balance it out 
and try to formulate a list of these are the guys that I am most confident will reach the major leagues and not just reach the major leagues, but have some impact in the major leagues. Now, eventually, Davis Martin is going to graduate from this list. So even though it may be surprising that I have him ranked fourth in the White Sox list right now, I have him ranked so high because I do think he's a viable major league arm right now. Uh, If the White Sox had traded him before the deadline, I think we may see Davis Martin start for another team at this moment in 2022. But for sure, in 2023, maybe a team not in contention, possibly a rebuilding team. But I think Davis Martin definitely has staying power. And starting next season, I don't think Davis Martin's going to be pitching much in AAA. If he continues the progression that he has made in 2022, he might be someone that's on the path of a Chris Bassett type. And I know Chris Bassett is going to get paid a lot of money. He has done big things for Oakland and now with the New York Mets. But a lot of people didn't think a lot about Chris Bassett when he was part of that Je- uh, Jeff Samarja trade all those years ago. And I think Davis Martin has that same type of ability. I'm really impressed on how well he's thrown this year. And I think he's got a, a bright future and staying power in the major leagues. Now, that's a fair breakdown. And that's always fun to hear the perspective of uh, those following the system because you get that type of unique insight. And I understand completely where you're coming from. Now we have Davis Martin listed at number 13 on our list, but with the upside, I think is what James and I had a problem trying to come to terms with. Like is, is his upside higher than potentially a, a Noah Schultz or, or even a Norhe Vera or Christian Mena. And we were trying to come down to a conclusion, but there's a lot of unknown there. What do you think the ceiling is, Josh? I know you said Chris Bassett, but from what you've seen here, comparatively, where Norhe Vera stands in his career and the upside in Christian Mena and Noah Schultz as well, how do you balance comparing a guy like Davis Martin, who already has big league experience, to others who are very, very early on in their development path? I think when I'm comparing Davis Martin to the other pitching prospects within the White Sox farm system, I've seen him in the majors and I've seen him go up against major league hitters. And that's to me gives him the advantage over the other pitchers who are still largely unknowns. And I think if you're asking about a ceiling for Davis Martin, I think he could be maybe a two, two and a half war type of starting pitcher. If he throws or starts 30 games at a season, looking at it like an ERA of 4.25. In no way do I think Davis Martin is going to be like an all-star type of pitcher. Maybe he proves me wrong. Maybe he can make that jump. But with the way that he can manipulate his fastball, mixing in speeds, late in games, has something left in the tank to hit 97 miles per hour. Or a team may say, you know, I know that you can go six innings as a starting pitcher, but that 97 paired up with your breaking pitches Maybe we just want to make you into a reliever and kind of go down the path of failed starting pitcher to high leverage reliever. The White Sox have two of them right now and Kendall Graveman and Liam Hendricks. Uh, so that that's another idea or even like a Ronaldo Lopez. I mean, shoot, just thinking about the White Sox bullpen right now. They've got a lot of failed starters who have turned into pretty good relievers. I think that they're it's all about staying power. And that's why I have Davis Martin ranked ahead of the other pitchers. I totally get it. When you're doing top 30 prospect lists, a lot of people rank them as far as potential. 
but I've seen what Davis Martin could do in the major leagues. I think he's got staying power in the major leagues. And I think there are other levels in his development that he can reach. And that's why I think he is the fourth best prospect within the White Sox farm system. So Josh believes there's more in Davis Martin and his game. Now, as we look, James, at, at the top five, right, this was also very difficult for us is trying to determine whether or not Vera is ahead of, of Noah Schultz, the number one overall draft pick for the White Sox in 2022 and in the 26th pick overall. Vera and Schultz, talk me through this one because obviously I'm in love with Norhe Vera and his stuff and the mechanics. But we heard that the ceiling and the absolute pinnacle of what Noah Schultz could be is Randy Johnson. So how, how do you rank these two? Well, I think specifically like Schultz is really tough to rank just because like even in the pre-draft process, like me and Josh have talked a lot about this. It was just like that pick was a shocker, but like, you know, like we don't really know what they know, right? Like the White Sox saw him pitching in the college summer league and you know, I feel like if we saw him pitching in that league, like the pick isn't really that much of a surprise because he's back completely healthy for mono and whatever else he was dealing with. And he struck out like 37 guys in like, you know, 16 innings or something crazy. Right. So, I mean, like MLB pipeline, I believe just ranked Schultz at three. So I don't know, like, I don't really, I'm not going to quibble with like any ranking with any of these guys here because I feel like they're all kind of in the same range. I think we need to see Schultz pitch. Now I do think Noah Schultz is like kind of a fulcrum point, like in this system, right? Because if he's really good in instructs and it's like, oh my God, like, you know, the White Sox have a six, nine lefty that looks like a top of the rotation starter or something like along those lines. That's the type of thing that like bumps the system up like to, you know, in the range like of 20 or something like that. Um, so, I mean, we'll see, like he needs to pitch. He hasn't really pitched. So he, he was very tough to rank and he's a little bit of an unknown, but I think the White Sox think he's their top pitching prospect. As far as Vera goes, you know, he's, he's looked as advertised. I guess my only issue with him is like the innings load and the innings base. Like he's been hurt twice now this season. It seems like he's only going to finish with like 50 to 60 innings this year. And I, you know, I'm not sure if he's a fall league guy cause I don't know where his cap is, but like you would hope that he's starting at double a at some point next year. And even then, like, like I hope they can get like a hundred innings out of him. But I mean, you know, it's, it's been an atypical path for him, just like Colas and Cespedes and some of these other guys. I mean, it's kind of the price of poker when you're going to sign, you know, advanced aged Cubans like this, like it's just, they, they just, they take a while, but they're also like older. So it's kind of like, you know, gives you that sense that maybe they should be up a little bit sooner than they actually are. So I don't know, like, I think you could flip a coin um, with those two guys, obviously. And then even like, there's some guys further down this list who I think you could put in range with these two as well. So sleepy, let me, let me throw it to you now, as you evaluate the starting pitching in the Chicago White Sox farm system. I mean, look at the top 11 on our list. It, it rounds out with Jonathan Cannon, a, a draft pick, Peyton Paulette, another draft pick, Sean Burke, Last year's draft pick who's already pitching in double A. I mean, Christian Mena breaks the top 10 for us on this list. We just mentioned Norhe Vera and Noah Schultz. I mean, those are those are legitimate names in the White Sox system that they believe can develop into, into starting pitchers. What's your take on where the system is in terms of their dedication to developing these types of players? Yeah, I mean, this is 
it's definitely like a uh, like a pleasing development rather than we've been pining for some pitching prospects to actually come through and be developed because it feels like after the rebuild phase it, it's just kind of been uh, lacking in that regard so seeing the emphasis on pitching and even to the point of going somewhat uh, college focused i guess in the draft this year with you know in gearing that they are more of a uh, quick moving type like it's it's definitely needed like it's needed for the system that they've been i mean we've for those that have been i guess been paying attention i think charlotte has like two starting pitchers and every other day is just like a bullpen game so seeing them focusing on you know getting this into the system i mean it's really just furthering the the development of these guys like watching christian mayna's progression from you know coming over stateside last year and having you know mixed results of a lot of strikeouts but you know a lot of contact to this year where he was um you know pretty much just dominant unhittable in canapolis and they gave him an aggressive promotion against facing you know older competition in winston and you know holding his own for the most part i mean he's hit you know, some more bumps in the road, but that's kind of to be expected. He's 19 years old facing against, you know, low twenties aged players. So, I mean, seeing that, and then even for Vera and Schultz, no Schultz is so intriguing, but it's like, I want to say like James mentioned, we just haven't seen him pitch. So the tools are there. Like it's just, the stuff is tantalizing, just the frame, all of that. Norhe Vera's got that smooth, like easy delivery. Uh, seems effortless. The pitching landscape in the system, especially starting pitching now, is just, I, I feel, just been a complete like 180 compared to where it was to start the season. To follow with that, Sleepy, Josh, you know, we talked to Brian Sikowski. He said Jonathan Cannon is a four or five starter guaranteed. And we have Cannon listed at number 11 right above is Peyton Paulette. And we know the injury history of Paulette in 2022, but this is a talent that had he pitched and had he been healthy ifs and buts and all that stuff, this would have been a first round talent, maybe even a top 10 pick here. The White Sox snag him in the second round. And I know Josh, you're a fan of Paulette. I'm just curious what your take is on the way the White Sox approach the draft in those arms specifically. Yeah. When you look at Noah Schultz and Payne Paulette, I, I have Paulette ranked ahead of Schultz in my top 30, because again, I've got an opportunity to see Payne Paulette. This is a mid-90s fastball with a devastating curveball combination for Paulette. And what we have noticed is that for those types of pitchers that have a devastating curveball, that when they join a major league team and they get themselves into a pitching lab, they suddenly also have this slider uh, that they developed. Uh, great examples, Reed Detmer, someone that I thought the White Sox could be interested in but was taking a pick before they could select him. In the 2020 uh, Major League Baseball draft, Reed Detmers now has a great slider that goes in along with his curveball and a four-seam fastball that's gained more velocity. Coming off Tommy John surgery, the White Sox have great experience on working with pitchers that have had Tommy John surgery and not losing their velocity, uh, the example being Michael Kopech. So the White Sox are obviously very comfortable. And if you got Paulette who's in the mid nineties and you know that he's already got a plus breaking pitch. That's a lot already to do some serious damage in the minor leagues. So I, th I think Payne Paulette is going to be a fast riser in the white Sox minor league system. Uh, Jonathan cannon 
He was working as far as on his fastball. This is someone that a, a couple of years ago was considered to be a reliever risk. He stayed at Georgia, didn't enter the draft early when he could have. I think that was a smart move if he was trying to sell teams that he can be a starting pitcher. He is learning in that he can pitch to contact. For a while at Georgia, there was some issues as far as control, but those issues seem to subside coming to 2022. He could throw either a four-seam or two-seam. I'm curious in which direction the White Sox want to go with Jonathan Cannon because if they want to develop him into a sinker type of starting pitcher, as they are seeing some really good results from Johnny Cueto this season from the White Sox and being being able to throw a two-seamer, then I think Cannon can also follow Payne Paulette and being a fast riser through the minor leagues. For Noah Schultz, what impresses you and why he was drafted the first round and got all this money is the type of data that he was providing at the showcases over the summer and in the bullpen sessions. I mean, we're talking about someone who's got a slider with 2,800 plus RPMs. That's where Dylan Cease is at. So if an 18-year-old, soon-to-be 19-year-old left-handed pitcher is already putting up similar data points with his slider that Dylan Cease, a contender for the American League Cy Young in 2022 has, then yeah, that's that's where potential really kicks in. Out of the, the case of potential and what I think would be future production, I have all three of these guys ranked next to each other, and I know we have some distance between Schultz and Paulette and Cannon in the overall top 30 list. But for me, I, I go Paulette, Schultz, and Cannon. But yes, I do think all three can reach the major leagues for the White Sox. That is something that we could not say before this season, where, as Sleepy mentioned, the White Sox just didn't have enough pitching to go around. And in a way, they still don't have enough pitching to go around. But they obviously addressed it in this last draft. And I'm really excited to see what 2023 holds for Paulette, Schultz, and Cannon. Josh Nelson, Steve Hasman, also known as Sleepy Harold, and James Fox joining us. My name is Mike Rankin here on the Future Sox Podcast. Let's take a break. When we come back, we got to get to more players on this top 30, mainly focus a little bit more on the bottom 15, as well as talk about Lenin Sosa, because I know James is a big fan of the player, and I want to get the rest of the group's opinion on where we have him ranked as well. So don't go anywhere. We'll take a quick break. Come back, talk more White Sox prospects. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, go to SoxMachine.com for that information. No ads for you. So consider it if you're not supporting us already. We really appreciate everything that you do. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, more White Sox Top 30 Talk. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Back in here on the Future Sox podcast, let's pick it up where we left off. And James, I, I mentioned Lenin Sosa. We saw him at the big league level. The White Sox had to call him up because of the injury issues. But also, the White Sox called up Lenin Sosa, period. What does that say to you? Well, so, I mean, when they first called him up, you know, it was like right before the trade deadline and whatnot. Like, I didn't know if they were calling him up with the intention of, like, showing him off to other teams because we hear about these showcases all the time and whatnot. And then, obviously, like, we got into the whole thing about how the manager didn't play him. Uh, but I just kind of think, like, they thought he was the next option of potential guys that, like, might be able to help that also they would have had to add to their 40-man at the end of this year anyway. So they just kind of did it. You know, I mean, he's had, like, his – his limited stint in the big leagues, right? He's played in 11 games. He's obviously struggled. He looks overmatched, um, but he's kind of done that at every minor league level. That was the thing that was always interesting. I thought about, well, not always, but this year, like Sosa's always been solid. And I kind of thought like he like profiled as a utility type, but then this year repeating Birmingham, I mean, he put up a 141 WRC plus in Birmingham with 14 homers. I mean, that, that was like a Luis Robert, season right so then I I just kind of thought you know he kind of figured some things out under Andy Barquette and we talked to him about Lenny and Sosa so I kind of think this profile is real for this player Um, I I think it's going to take a while to come to fruition in the big leagues like whenever he gets his next shot but I mean if he really takes off at Charlotte now for the rest of the season it's not going to be that much of a surprise to me now I will say in ranking and, you know, I'd like to get Sleepy and Josh's opinion on this too. Like ranking Sosa and Rodriguez was tough for me. And it seems tough at like some of the publications too that are putting out White Sox top 30 prospect lists because I feel like, you know, internally the White Sox feel like Jose Rodriguez is the better player and they like him better long term. Sosa had the better season at Birmingham. So, Rodriguez is still a little bit younger. I just think both of those two guys are interesting and a little bit tough to decipher which one's better, or which one should be higher. I agree with you, James, because when I ranked my top 30, uh, Jose Rodriguez then decided I'm going to hit home runs. And he had five straight games where he was hitting home runs. And he was really struggling when I put together my top 30 list at Birmingham. And he's no longer struggling in Birmingham. So that's a really good sight to see. And with Lenin Sosa ranking these two, again, it goes back to the way that I think about Davis Martin. We now have seen him in the major leagues. He has reached the major leagues. I think ultimately Lenin Sosa is probably a bench player, uh, someone that is a utility type. He is not going to be your starting shortstop, but maybe they play 70, 80 games in a major league season, splitting time between shortstop and second base. I know that there is power, but I am wondering about his plate discipline, if he's going to draw a lot of walks, if, if he's going to be someone that has a 5% walk rate, that's not going to merit to start every single day for any of the 30 major league teams. So for Sosa, when he goes back to Charlotte, 
and if he does start 2023 in AAA, that is something that he needs to do uh, a better job of is plate discipline that sees a walk rate of at least 8% and hope that also converts when he moves over to the major leagues. But he's just 22 years old. Uh, and he's had a very impressive season, and we've known about Lenin Sosa for a while coming up through the White Sox farm system. And it's like this phenomenon now, Sleepy. It's like, all right, so in 2023, who's going to be the random middle infielder that just explodes on the scene and reaches the major league? So we had Romy Gonzalez in 2021. We have Lenin Sosa in 2022. Who's it going to be in 2023, Sleepy? Yeah. As the long-standing Jose Rodriguez stan, I guess of Future Sox, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to choose him, just because I mean, even how you were going back to like when we were formulating and coming up with our top list, Jose Rodriguez, and understandably so, like he's playing. I want to say it's like two and a half years younger than most of Double A, so you know he had some some understandable scuffles early on, he must have known or got some wind that we were making these lists. Cause I mean, the binge that he, the Homer binge he's been on, it's just been incredible. I mean, I'm looking at it now that starting in August, his OPS for the season was 692 with a 83 WRC plus. And then um, to date, not including obviously today's game, because I, I don't know if it started yet. Um, his WRC plus has shot to 102 and he's sitting at a 770 OPS. I mean, he's just been seeing the ball well, hitting it with authority, a lot of pull power. And I mean, this is kind of, this is like the vintage Jose Rodriguez from, from last season that kind of just burst on the scene and like really climbed up our rankings as well as a lot of the other publications because, you know, he's, they set average tools across the board. Nothing that really like wows you, but he's just a ball player and he's got the energy. Like he can play shortstop second base. He steals bases. Like he has 40 stolen bases so far this year. I mean, I think at the rate that he's going, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like he could see a cup of coffee for the Sox like next year in, you know, in a pinch injury, whatever, you know, whatever weirdness, that uh, the 162 game baseball season um, unfolds. I mean, he's just been an exciting player to watch. And as well with Jose Rodriguez, it was always like, well, you know, he kind of, he swings a lot of pitches. He's got to kind of work on that. I mean, his K rate, you know, through this season thus far is still, um, it's sub 14% with a nearly 8% walk rate. So he's still doing those things at the plate where he doesn't strike out a lot. I mean, the walks have been a bit, it's a bit better, but I mean, he's just got that, exciting middle infield next man up kind of um, feel to him, you know, in this system. Sleepy, you make great points about Jose Rodriguez's game because when we talked to Kurt Bloom, the double A Birmingham broadcaster, longtime broadcaster for the Barons, uh, he shared with us that Jose Rodriguez is swing happy, yet he doesn't strike out a lot because he makes contact. I mean, the bat to ball skill is real and that's somebody the White Sox are very excited about clearly. Uh, and just another point about just the infield depth we're looking at, Colson Montgomery, Lenin Sosa, Jose Rodriguez, and Romy Gonzalez is still a part of this thing. Yolbert Sanchez is still you know, developing, but he's close to being a major league player. There's a lot of infield depth. 
And, and Josh, I want to throw it to you because here's here's the question that I have in regards to that. When we're looking at the depth of the system and you, you're trying to evaluate Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos and Romy Gonzalez, Lenin Sosa, these, these players, what does it tell you about the philosophy inside the war room that the White Sox are building within? Is there a tell at all with these types of players in the way that they're evaluating and developing these specific guys? Or is it just a philosophy that, you know what, we see talent, we recognize talent, we want them in our system? Well, it kind of goes to the old adage of try to draft as many shortstops as possible if you're looking at position players, because if athletically they could play the shortstop position, you could always move them off of that position and spread them across the diamond. The key being, do they have the hitting skills? Now, when we're looking at White Sox middle infielders, a lot of this conversation has been Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa. There is Yobert Sanchez, and I believe Yobert Sanchez could be defensively a major leaguer right now. I think he's got the defensive skills to be a solid major leaguer, and maybe he's as good as a defender as Yomer Sanchez was when Yomer Sanchez won a gold glove for the Chicago White Sox. Yomer Sanchez is a quadruple-A player because he can't hit, and that might be the same thing with Yobert Sanchez as well, is that he may not be able to hit. That's why we're more excited about Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez, and Romy Gonzalez, is that all three of these guys have shown potential to not only hit with contact, but really flex the power. And I think when you we move forward here, and this is such a data-centric type of evaluation, but we now get bat speed and exit velocity numbers from showcases for prep players and I think it's over a hundred division one college stadiums now uh, have some type of radar system uh, that they are providing stat cast like numbers to other teams in the league and even to major league scouts as well uh, and to their players to go into their both hitting and pitching labs that it's going to be easier for teams to identify which of these hitters have the, uh, the ability to really produce some eye-opening exit velocity numbers. And that's why Lenin Sosa had this huge, as far as progression in 2022, that's why a lot of people were hyped about Jose Rodriguez before this season because they saw what he did at the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, his numbers were not great, but when you're watching him in the batting cage and when you're watching him in the game and you're looking at the data, the potential is there. So I think as long as for the White Sox, I mean, we figured out they really like spin rate, when it comes to the pitchers that they're scouting, I am thinking that they are also paying attention to exit velocity and barrel speed when scouting hitters, because that's what you're seeing from Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez. And on top of that, they are shortstops and they are good at the shortstop position, but they have the flexibility that you can move them around the infield. And that really helps as far as future planning for the White Sox farm system. And something that I think that they're going to continue to do is just draft as many middle infielders as possible and get away from this, as we I think we could all agree, this really bad tendency of drafting first basemen and hoping that they have some athleticism and the bat plays where they could go out to the outfield. That's just not a really smart strategy. I think that's very well said. And, and let me keep it right here, Josh, with you, because... I want to know about Yolki Cespedes and how you're thinking about him. Uh, you were all over the strikeout rate as we did the preseason list early this year. 
what's changed? How do you feel about where he stands in his development? I am so at Birmingham, you have some prospects that blow up and they go through the brick wall like the Kool-Aid man. You have some prospects where they run smack into the brick wall, but eventually they climb over the brick wall and they figure out double A. I am concerned that Cespedes is going to continue running into the brick wall in Birmingham. I don't know about the bat. And defensively, I think he, just like his brother, has a really strong arm, but probably is better suited to be in a corner outfield spot. And he's a he's a free swear, and he's just not making a lot of contact right now. And, and that has me concerned. So I think he needs to spend another year at double A, in 2023 and now you're coming up with age like an age issue because he's on the older side if i if i remember it correctly like he's going to be in his mid-20s and you know, listen yoki cespedes was a lottery ticket and i think everybody was hoping that maybe he has the potential to be like his brother but not everyone can follow up their big league brother <laughs> and Yoki Cespedes is going to turn 25 years old in September. And yeah, when you start getting to the mid twenties, I, I have to start seeing it put together when, you know, I mean, his numbers are fine in double a, but they're just, I don't know. He's not meeting as far as my expectations of the hype that was coming into uh, this season. And when he came into the Chicago white Sox organization, I think there's a considerable gap between he and Oscar Colas. Like if you're looking for a future White Sox outfielder, I would put more stock and faith that Oscar Colas is that future White Sox major league outfielder than Yoki Cespedes. Yeah, Josh, I mean, completely agree on Colas there. I mean, I think Colas looks like a future member of contending White Sox clubs that Ricardo would always talk about. But yeah, I mean, Cespedes, it just... It's a 29% strikeout rate still in double A and he doesn't walk ever. So like the one good thing is we always talk about how the White Sox don't have any outfielders. Like he can legit play the outfield with a plus arm. So, I mean, look, like does he take the, the Adam Engel role at some point where he's like your fourth outfielder that can play center sometimes, but he's good in both corners. He hits for power. Um, but he's never going to really get on base much. Like maybe like I think Cespedes can play in the big leagues. I just, I don't think he's like a top prospect by any means. And like you said, he's going to be 25 in September. So the thing that interests me or that's just, I find curious is that he's still in double a, like, do they just put him in triple a anyway, let him go to big league camp. And then he kind of becomes like one of your backup options. And then you see, right? Like some guys just go to Charlotte and, all of a sudden they produce because of that league and that ballpark and whatever. So, I mean, we're kind of at the point where like, I think Cespedes might kind of be what he is. Like he has pop, he has a strong throwing arm. He can play the outfield, you know, and it, it maybe it's like time to just like get a look and find out what he is instead of analyzing double a numbers for, you know, next year too. Yeah. That's a good point, James, but the, he's just, he's such a white Sox prospect, James. He has a really tough time hitting for power against right-handed pitching. I mean, in double A, he's only slugging 405 against righties. He's hitting 249 with a 315 on base percentage, striking out 31% of the time uh, against right-handed pitching. His left-handed numbers are great. If you just look at his, his splits against left-handed pitching, I mean, he's such a White Sox prospect. He's slugging 500. He's got a 364 
on base percentage. He has as almost as many walks against left-handed pitching with 12 than he does against right-handed pitching with 13. But he has 34 walks against left-handed pitch, uh, 34 strikeouts against left-handed pitching. He has struck out 88 times <laughs> against right-handed pitching. So he's such a White Sox prospect in that, yeah, he can mash left-handed pitching. And you got a left-handed starter and you're in Birmingham and you're watching Cespedes, you will buy into, man, this guy's going to be a future major leaguer. Throw a right-handed pitcher on the mound who has a slider, a halfway decent slider, and then it's just like everyone else for the struggling White Sox this season. Ooh, are we sure this guy's a major leaguer? He's having a really tough time against this right-handed pitcher. So that's something to pay attention to is that if Cespedes does go to AAA, James, I am paying attention to his home away splits because we know how Charlotte is, but he's got to fare better against right-handed pitching if he wants to reach the majors. So I had a, I guess this is more of just like a, I guess a general comment on Cespedes. Would you guys view, like, let's say I like how you mentioned, because this is my long running thought about him. Would you consider it successful if Yoelki turns into like Adam Engel 2.0 for the White Sox, where he's that fourth outfielder can fill in for a bit, but not for too long because like we've mentioned, strikes out too much, all of the, you know, all of the, the issues that are present now. Um, do you consider that a successful use of resources? I mean, in my eyes, I kind of do just, you know, the defensive because he's defense first and, you know, what he gives you with the bat is hopefully good enough. I, I, it's been kind of conflicting, but I, I'm just curious about your guys take on it. So I would say that like getting a big league contributor for $2 million is fine. But the problem is that it's a finite resource, right? And it's like limited. So like, I, like personally, like, yeah, like you sign Yuelki Cespedes and MLB pipeline calls him the number one international prospect, yeah. even though, you know, that's most, that's mostly nonsense. Like I, I would rather have two Eric Hernandez's than one Yuelki Cespedes, if that makes any sense. But yeah, I mean, if he gets to the big leagues and it costs you $2 million, like if the White Sox called that a win, it's tough to argue with. I just don't love the strategy that they've employed. Agreed. I, I totally get that to where they should have. They finally dipped into it, like you mentioned, going to the young international teenage prospects. I mean, they should have been doing that a long time ago, but that all that all checks out with me. I wanted to spend some time on Yuwoki Cespedes because you know he's getting to that age, and Josh was describing it well. And what we're evaluating so far is, you know, it's. We're limiting our expectations. He's still a top 15 prospect. He is number 15 on our list at futuresocks.com. But it's a matter of, all right, you got to show me because you're starting to age out a little bit. So that is a point well taken and well said by all. Now, there's a few names that I want to get to before we wrap up this conversation. Uh, One that I'd like to mention, Tanner McDougal, who has been out all year with Tommy John surgery, is ranked number 19. That's no change from his preseason list. He's working his way back. He's healthy. He's throwing uh, you know, short pens. It's not live sessions yet, but he's getting back. And the stuff is just off the charts with the frame, the spin rate, the stuff. We're looking at somebody that we can be very excited about. And something that we also mentioned across various podcasts, when you draft prep, you have you know, the timeline of this player growing into his frame, obviously to improve in his skill set, but also if something happens like what we saw in McDougal and his arm, you miss a full year, he comes back, he's 20, 
and he's not 23 compared to a college arm. So that's that's a, another point of emphasis when it comes to hey the benefit of having a prep player. Another one that I wanted to throw to you, now that was just a quick mention of Tanner McDougal because he's definitely deserving of the ranking. Following McDougal is an interesting right-handed pitcher, Cole Seamus. Now I want to give a shout out to our listeners as well for correcting us on the last podcast. I was calling him Cole Simus, but it is Seamus. And Baseball America had it. MLB Pipeline is interested in Seamus. This is a right-hander who was an undrafted free agent signing in 2021. He's a San Diego State guy, and he comes in out of the pen and was really good. Okay, so then you fast-forward to this season. The White Sox are using him as a starter now. 16 appearances, 15 starts. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is pretty encouraging, but the strikeout-to-inning ratio is what's uh, really flashing because he can throw four pitches. We learned this in the last podcast with Bill Mitchell. Cole Seamus is ranked number 20 on our list. James, I want to throw it to you. This is somebody that was out of our purview but has really burst on the scene and earned a spot on our list. He's the number 20 prospect. Yeah, so it's, I mean, the the interesting part to me is that he, you know, he signed for $20,000 after that draft. Like, there weren't many guys, and Josh could, you know, probably tell you this too, like, the undrafted market was kind of meh like during those years just because like you were limited to giving guys 20k and like there's just no reason to do that because you could just go back to school so like I didn't really know who he was other than recognizing the last name but yeah he's been he's been pretty good and he actually looks like a legit pitching prospect like not that he's gonna like pan out for sure I mean I think he he should probably be in Winston or, or Birmingham with his age but yeah, he's 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 been surprising, and Bill Mitchell told us that you know other scouts like him. So that that was one that uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. And Baseball America, I think they were the first ones to like put him on one of their lists. And you know we've we've followed suit here after the season that he's had with the uh, Cannonballers. So we wanted to give a shout out to Seamus and Josh. You know, feel free to follow up on what you know about the right-hander, but a couple of names that we didn't mention who were mentioned highly as highly regarded prospects in the past is Matthew Thompson and Jared Kelly. The continued development of those players. Now, it hasn't been linear at this point because you know they're they're getting down on the list. If you, as you search SoxMachine.com and check out Future Sox Top 30, you can follow us on Twitter at Future Sox. You'll see Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson have dipped a little bit in their status uh, as White Sox farm system prospects. However, there is upside in Matthew Thompson's development over the last year, and we're seeing some positive developments in Jared Kelly in the fact that, hey, he's pitching. Josh, how are you feeling about where we rank Matthew Thompson and Jared Kelly at, at 14 and 16, respectively? I think we need to see obviously more consistency from both of them, but this has been a weird journey because of COVID like these are, this is the group of prospects that I think really got hurt by COVID and missing the 2020 year, the Thompson, the Kelly and the Andrew Dahlquist. Like it's been sputtering development with these three. And as you mentioned, Mike, you know, there's some games that Matthew Thompson wows you same thing with Jared Kelly. And then the next time you check on them, they walk like six batters. And it's like, all right, guys, what's like, what's going on here? Where's the the consistency? I think eventually they're going to find it. With Thompson, I think there's at some point, once he is age appropriate for double A, the White Sox have a tough choice. Do we continue, try to develop in, into a starting pitcher, or do we scrap that plan and say, hey, man, if you want to reach the major leagues, 
Let's get into the bullpen. Let's see if we can gain a couple ticks on the velocity and the fastball. Keep you on two pitches. Find you a breaking pitch that you're comfortable with and go that route. Jared Kelly needs a kick in the butt. He needs to get physically ready for a season. He needs to be physically ready for 2023. I do not want to keep hearing from other outlets and resources and scouts that he's still got baby fat on him. He needs to get better. He needs to be in better physical shape for 2023. There are no more excuses because if he doesn't, that's what's going to impact his ability of reaching the majors because the Kelly that I saw at Wrigley Field during a prospect showcase threw 98 on a major league gun and had a plus changeup. And what he needed to work on was developing a breaking pitch. And I feel like since that day that I watched Jared Kelly, he has moved backwards. And a lot of that stems from the fact that he has not taken conditioning very seriously. Uh, he's not taking the off season very seriously. And boy, that sounds familiar to a former White Sox pitcher that they drafted very high uh, in the draft in Carlos Rodon, whose career was sputtering until Ethan Katz got him to buy into working out in the offseason in the core velocity belt. And boom, look at Carlos Rodon now. He's one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. Maybe Jared Kelly will have a similar session, but that's my views on Kelly. Like he has been a disappointment in my opinion, because I think he's got potential, but he's not meeting that potential because he's not taking the off season seriously. And we need to see that going to spring training to 2023. We need to see a body transformation and a mentality transformation because he's got too much talent to be sputtering like he has been in Kannapolis. Yeah, I would say, I mean, get, Kelly getting $3 million. I mean, he got top 25 money. I think a lot was expected of him and he struggled. You know, he doesn't, he's got like a 350 ERA in Kannapolis and he's finally pitching more, but I mean, it's still like 60 innings. Like, I don't even know if he's going to get to 100. So like the biggest thing for him is obviously the conditioning, but the fact that he's pitched, you know, I think is, is at least, you know, better news than I guess what we were getting accustomed to with Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, you know, the White Sox have in Birmingham right now, which I didn't really expect. Like all of a sudden he was in Birmingham and he's kind of holding his own there, uh, which is interesting. I mean, he's just a big, or he's an athletic right-hander that, you know, his stuff fluctuates. So that's always kind of been the problem with him. Like he loses his stuff mid start. Um, but he, he's had a lot of good starts this year. So, you know, hopefully, uh, Matthew Thompson has, has turned the corner and, you know, maybe we'll get something out of Jared Kelly here going on into next year, too. How do you feel about Dahlquist, James? Bad. Um, so okay. I think, like, Dahlquist, <laughs> so Dahl, so Dahlquist is one of these guys where, you know, it was a he was a big projection guy. And, and they just might have been wrong. And I think a lot of people were. Um, you know, he just, like, the stuff isn't really better, and he walks too many guys. So I, we still have him on the list, I think, because of the pedigree, like, in the 20s. But... Um, it's kind of like what you said, right? Like change of scenery or like, does this stuff play up at all in the bullpen? I don't know. Like we might be reaching that point here pretty soon. And I know it may sound like I'm harsh on Jared Kelly and sure you could call it that, but no, he's got potential. Like I think he's got promise and I've seen it in person. I'm just, I'm disappointed with on how this has started. And there's just been too much conversation about, 
off the field type of stuff as far as just not getting the body ready to go and not embracing the off season and the preparation to becoming a professional baseball player that he needs to take more seriously going to 2023 because when that part clicks, I think Jared Kelly is someone that could really surprise people in 2023, but the ball's in his court of what kind of professional baseball player he wants to be. Yeah, it's tough to see Andrew Dawkins fall as far as he did, number 26 overall, now on the Future Sox top 30. Uh, as James mentioned, you know, the frame, the mechanics, the delivery, the repertoire suggested that this is a starter who could pitch well at uh, lower level affiliates, but it hasn't happened because he doesn't throw a lot of strikes and the stuff isn't as sharp as what you maybe hoped could develop into. So it's been a struggle for Dahlquist. He's still a top 30 prospect on this list. Uh, As we wind down the list though, two more names that I want to throw out to you guys and then we'll wrap this up. Sleepy, I want to go to you. Loydell Chipei. That's what it's spelled Chipelli, but pronounced Chipei. And Sleepy is this Leary Garcia 2.0? Possibly. Like, maybe with less versatility, but hopefully a better bat. Like, it's just, you know, it, it it's hard to kind of evaluate him being so much older against the DSL. Like, he's torching the DSL, which is what he should be doing. But, like, until he's stateside and, you know, like, in a full-season affiliate with more age-appropriate competition, like, you can't deny like what he's doing and been able to do for the Dominican team. There's a lot of, you know, 17, like Eric Hernandez is 17 and like, he's there. There's a lot of other 17, 18 year olds, um, 18 year old, 19 year olds that are playing in this league. So it's kind of like the numbers don't mean nothing, but like, it's kind of the grain of salt type thing. Like, okay, that's good. He should be doing this. What's he going to do when he's at a full season affiliate with, more advanced competition. I think that's the big um, question mark. Like he's definitely an interesting prospect based on like the frame and like the pop that he does possess in the bat. So like that is intriguing nonetheless. Um, I'm just really looking forward to what, um, to seeing what he'll be able to do when he is stateside next season. A little bit older and uh, signing in the international class that didn't break the bank, but one that's noteworthy and he is a top 30 prospect, according to us at Future Sox. James, feel free to add whatever you want on Chipei, but I wanted to throw to you because this is a player that was on your radar and then we saw MLB Pipeline agree with you and they think very highly of Ryan Burroughs out of Panama, a shortstop. What's your evaluation of this player and uh, what can you tell us about the White Sox number 30 prospect according to Future Sox? So Burroughs, it seems like statistically, I guess, has fallen off like a little bit. I mean, it's a 116 WRC plus like in the Dominican Summer League. The thing about him is, though, like he was somewhat age appropriate, at least like he was signed as a as a 17 year old. He's 18 now. Like I would imagine he's stateside next year. But I heard like no, no doubt shortstop, high walk rate, you know, holding his own in the DSL. I mean, I think at 46 games, probably a longer season than than he's ever played. So that's a guy that I just kind of like had my eye on. And then MLB Pipeline ranked him where they did, which, you know, I obviously found interesting. Um, I completely agree with Sleepy on Chapei, I guess, as Bill Mitchell told us. But I mean, it's just like this guy like has no business playing in the DSL. So he's really tough to rank. Like 
if you told me that he comes stateside and next year he's like the 15th ranked prospect in the system because he's getting Rugnet Odor comps, like I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I just think it's impossible to rank him like doing what he's doing as a 20-year-old playing on dirt infields in the Dominican Republic. It's just kind of kind of tough. And he was a $500,000 bonus guy out of Cuba. So, you know, that that's real money. So he's a he's a real guy. It's just one of these situations where we're not really going to know until he's here and playing somewhere. This was a ton of fun, gentlemen. Uh, we're going to wrap this conversation up with our favorite prospects that we need to just stake our claims in because it's just one of the things that we do as baseball fans. You, you find a guy that's your guy. So Josh, let's start with you. Who's your guy on this list? All right. So I'm going to go with the newbie here. I'm going to go with Jordan Sprinkle. I thought Jordan Sprinkle was going to be someone taken in the first two rounds of this upcoming Major League Baseball draft. And he just didn't hit very well at, out of UC Santa Barbara, but he can play defense. He is very strong defensively and he's got a lot of athleticism. And I agree with the director of amateur scouting, the White Sox, Mike Shirley, that he was focusing on trying to hit too much for power. If Sprinkle goes back to his offensive game in which it's more contact oriented and he's aiming for both of the gaps and more of his power is in the double side. I think he's got the opportunity to be a 300 plus type of batting average hitter. As soon as he steps on the field, whether that's at Kannapolis or Winston Salem in 2023. And I think the defense just jumps off the film and just jumps off the page when you are watching him. And I think, you know, we have him ranked 25th right now, but if he goes back to hitting 300 and he's got a high bab up uh, because he's putting the ball constantly in play, don't be surprised if there's some Tim Anderson comps for a Jordan Sprinkle. He's got a long way to go, but if he could orient his game to be more of a Tim Anderson-like, the White Sox may have found a diamond in the rough that was shiny before the 2022 college season, but obviously faded in its luster because Sprinkle's poor offensive season. A lot of the evaluators that we talk to on the Future Sox podcast are also fans of Jordan Sprinkle, so that makes us fans as well. Josh, always great to talk to you. Awesome insight. As always, make sure you're subscribed to the Sox Machine podcast. You'll hear Josh five days a week or even more so. And then if you don't follow him on Twitter, then you're just missing out on his journey to get the White Sox to score runs <laughs> for all of us on his Peloton bike. Just hanging out. Just I, I don't want to do it. I'm glad it's you and it's not me. So, Josh, appreciate you. Sleepy. Let me hear the prospect that you want to stake your claim to. I mean, I get, I have to stay true to my roots. I mean, I just got to keep championing for, uh, for Popeye. I mean, just I've, I've, Jose Rodriguez caught my eye early on back when he was in the DSL and then first came stateside. I mean, I just think the White Sox have had this intriguing run of being able to seemingly produce middle infield prospects uh, kind of out of thin air, you know? So it's just like his skill set, the combination, all of the reports saying that that's a guy they want on their team. He's just a ball player. You know, he does all the little things, you know, nothing super flashy about his game, but it's just like, he's just a good player. And just, I, you know, I was on the train early. I'm going to keep on conducting the train. He's one of my, uh, definitely one of my favorite prospects to follow in this system so there's another middle infielder for you jose rodriguez now james i think i know who it is who's your guy so i don't think you know i i don't know i didn't really 
I wasn't going to talk about a guy that we've already talked about just because we've talked about all these guys already. So, like, I might go off the board. And, like, I don't I don't usually rank relievers. I don't like doing so. Uh, but I'm going to go with Luke Schilling for this just because, like, I think he's going to be in the big leagues, like, really, really soon, like, as long as he's healthy and pitching. Like, they just moved him to Birmingham after being injured. He looks fine in Birmingham. I think this is a high-leverage relief option soon. Um, so, so I'm going to go with him. And then this isn't the question you asked me and I didn't rank this guy and we didn't rank this guy. And Josh like knows this player too, but like Jacob Burke, like intrigues me because the white Sox took him in the 11th round out of Miami and gave him 225 K and he's big and plays center field and hits for power. And he's already at Kannapolis. So, you know, he, he might strike out too much at some point to be anything, but I'm going to be watching him like going into next year to see just how far they, they start him next year. So anytime they like overslot somebody there, um, I'm usually curious. I thought you were going Caleb Freeman. We did not rank Freeman, but that's how I thought you were going with it. But Luke Schilling, you're absolutely right. Just the thing that's holding him back is the injury and the lack of uh, innings under his belt because of the injury. So uh, this is a major league ready prospect, it seems. And Luke Schilling, who we ranked at number 29, of course, go to SoxMachine.com to check out our top 30 list. For me, Christian Mena, I think uh, the White Sox have something in Mena. Shocker. Who is still yeah, he's still 19 <laughs> years old, and he's turning 20 in December of this year. And he's pitching an advanced day largely because the talent in low A kind of stinks, and Mena has the stuff that can get that type of talent out. He's thrown a lot of curveballs, so the White Sox need to improve the velocity of his fastball. Um, hopefully develop the velocity in his fastball. He needs to improve on that because he throws the pitch. But he has a curveball that has been getting low-A players out. And, of course, if you throw predominantly curveball ahead of your fastball, and it's like, okay, well, you got to change a little bit of your game plan here because uh, that's not sustainable. So we know the breaking stuff is great. Let's see if it plays at higher levels. And we also would love to see Mena's velocity maybe hover around 94 miles an hour on average then the White Sox have something really special. But keep an eye on the 19-year-old Christian Mena, who we ranked number six. Guys, this has been fun. Really appreciate everybody taking the time today to hang out with us discussing the top 30 list at futuresox.com and SoxMachine.com. This has been a presentation of the Blue Wire Network, thanks to SoxMachine.com, of course, our partner for allowing us to be uh, implemented through their network as Future Sox drops a podcast every Tuesday. This week is a celebration of the number 24 system in the league, according to Baseball America. Now, if you hear the elation in my in my voice, it's sincere because they've been number 30 for quite a bit now. I want to say it's been three lists, 2021 preseason, midseason, and then 2022 preseason. Now White Sox are climbing it up. That's something to celebrate, and hopefully the White Sox get back on track. I mean, it'd be nice to see them in the playoffs again, but, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, I guess. So as we conclude this episode – be sure to go to SoxMachine.com for everything that you want, White Sox as well as FutureSox.com for minor league baseball information regarding the organization. And subscribe to our Patreon if you haven't already. You get exclusive content from SoxMachine.com. You get podcasts without any advertisements placed in there. So uninterrupted listening for you. For Josh Nelson, Steve Hasman, and James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.